Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. Family, it's the vehicle, the primary vehicle that God wants to use to establish his kingdom in us and through us and on the earth. I mean, I just, I think it's huge because think about it. You were impacted more than anything growing up by what? Your family. For good or for bad, it has such a huge impact on us. So I think the verse that comes to mind for me is Ephesians 5.1 when it says, therefore, um, it's like, um, let's look it up. I think it's be imitators, but let's look it up so I don't say it wrong. Yep. Ephesians 5.1 is be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, verse 2, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I think like in terms of the way I think of the framework for marriage and for family, it is just that, being an imitator of God as dearly loved children. I'm only able to imitate God in my relationship with my husband or with my kids as I have been loved by him to the degree that I've been loved by God. To that degree, I'm able to pour out love on my husband or my children when they least deserve it. And so for me, it's all about learning to lean into God in all those messy, messy moments to receive from him. And when I've got nothing, when you've got nothing, when you don't have love and you just have anger, hatred in your heart or impatience towards your kids, we can lean into the Holy Spirit and receive. And so a lot of it, I think, in terms of like living out the kingdom, it's getting totally honest with yourself because if we're not honest with ourselves, we can't be honest with God. And then from there, leaning in, God, I got nothing right now. And leaning in and let him, letting him love through us, letting him, you know, fill us with his patience. All the fruit of the Spirit. So many times, I've got nothing, and I'm just like, God, I've got nothing. I just surrender and yield. And I just think he wants to call us to that higher place of learning how to, in those moments, instead of giving into our flesh, receiving from him. But I do think that family and marriage, that's just, it's the primary vehicle that he wants to establish his kingdom in us, through us, and on the earth in greater measure. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful. It really is. It's painful. Yeah. Because well, we got to die. A lot of us, we, we see these uh, dysfunctions in our family of origin, and we're like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And we get married, and five minutes into marriage, we're like, oh, no. That's all I know, that my, my, my reflex in conflict, my reflex in relationship is what happened in my family of origin. Oh, gosh. And so then you find yourself suddenly feeling hopeless because no matter how hard you try really hard to do the right thing, what ends up coming out is manifesting your parents on your spouse. Um, so my, first, my next question is, what are the top three issues you see the most in marriages as a family and couples counselor? Um, I think I would probably say unforgiveness in terms of marriage is one of the biggest issues. Um, I see shame in a lot of couples and the different facets and ways that shame manifests. How, do, how does shame manifest in different couples? Um, I think a lot of couples that I see there can be so much shame in maybe not doing something right. Let's say if, you know, you're the husband and the wife, you know, confronts on something. A lot of times, I'll see, and it's not just husbands, but, you know, go into shame and then hide, isolate, pull back, withdraw, act like it doesn't matter. But it does. They don't know what to do with that. So that's one way. It's just isolating, pulling back, withdrawing emotionally. Another way that shame can manifest is blowing up 
um, with a lot of, you know, anger and coming off very angry. Um, but yeah, I think shame is a core issue that I see a lot. So I'd say unforgiveness, shame, and then I see a lot just attachment issues that most of us don't grow up in healthy families. Most of us don't know how to form secure attachments. And so, yeah, learning, and that's a skill. That's a skill that can be learned, how to develop and form a secure attachment in marriage. But I think those are probably the top three Unforgiveness is huge. Um, I see a lot of couples um, where they've been offended and one will say, you know, oh, I've forgiven him or I've forgiven her for that. But if you're bringing it up when you get mad, no, you haven't, sister. (laughs) I'm just telling you, if you're bringing it up and those words are still coming out of your mouth, you haven't forgiven. Um, and sometimes that's a process when something really, really painful has happened. My husband and I went through, um, well, and I shall say this from the get-go, we've had issues. So I don't want, Ashley and I aren't up here like, oh, yeah, we got the perfect marriage and we got this figured out. I've learned a lot through the years, but we've had issues. But you know what? We've grown as we've worked through those issues So I just want to say, if you have issues and you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is on marriage, just be like, yeah, you're human. We all have issues, but Mm -hmm. we can grow through those issues. But with unforgiveness, um, when something huge happens, it may take a little while to work through that to regain trust. But ultimately, once you forgive, we need to move on. And that's something that I see a lot of couples having great difficulty doing, moving on and letting go. Yeah, and just like she said, I, I need all of the tools and skills that she's talking about tonight just as much as everyone in this room does. I need it not just one time. I need to continually go back to it and remind myself so that I'm retraining, I'm re- reworking the framework of how my brain thinks when it comes to conflict, when how my brain thinks when it comes to offense. Because, you guys, if it doesn't matter if it's your spouse or somebody else. If you are in relationship with anyone for any length of time, you will come up to a point where conflict happens. I don't care if it's your child, your spouse, your coworker, or the Lord himself. If you are actually walking in relationship with the Lord and you don't come to a point where you feel like you have something that you want to bring to him that you disagree with or you're angry about it, I would, I would challenge your intimacy with him. Because relationship looks messy, going after the things that the, the lies in our mind that we've, cre- we've, we've bought into the lie that they're the truth for identity, for who the other person is, what their assumption of their motivations are. It takes time and actual concerted effort to change those things. And so even if you're here and you're like, oh, I've heard some of this stuff before, that's okay because it's about continually renewing the framework that we grew up in. Um, so my next question is, what are the similarities between healthy and unhealthy marriages? Okay. Um, I love I would, this question. I would say similar. I'm interested to hear what you have to say on that one. Um, for me, I would say similarities is both healthy and unhealthy marriages have conflict. Both healthy and unhealthy marriages are going to have the ups and the downs. Healthy and unhealthy marriages are going to have seasons where they're feeling all the feels and feeling the love and other times are they're not. So I, that's what I would say. There are so many similarities. And it's going to be the differences are how we process and how we respond to all those things. But if you have conflict and you have issues, yeah, we all do. Um, it, 
I always say that there are relationships within your marriage relationship. It's like um, if you have kids, you have a parenting relationship. If you, are, you have a friendship, that is a friendship relationship. The reason you date your spouse at continually is because there is a romantic relationship. You have a sexual relationship. All of these different things are all going through the mountains and valleys of relationship at any given time. It's, it's like sometimes we're, we're feeling like we're doing really, really well, and sometimes it's really difficult. I mean, even, I mean, pardon me, but if we're talking about sexuality and sexual relationships. Sometimes sex is awesome, and it's really, really easy to engage in. Sometimes it's more difficult. Sometimes there are children involved. There are different seasons of life that you go in. There are different times when libido is high, when it's low. That's normal. Um, but again, like she said, in all these different areas of relationship, whether it is your friendship, that maybe there's a lack of fun in your relationship, maybe there's stress involved, anxiety, there's a lot of work going on. Um, every single one of those relationships can go through its ups and downs, but it is about, again, how we've learned to cope and handle with those that, can, that determines our success. Um, what are the... Well, we kind of touched this. What are the well, differences between yeah, healthy and unhealthy I, I think one of marriages? the differences, this is a big thing that I see in working with couples. I see a lot of couples that just with conflict, they sweep it under the rug. And the rug gets so full <laughs> through the years. It's like there's so much crap under the rug. And so that's Or maybe we deal with some of this stuff and, the, and you're like, but this we're going to put in here. But I'm going to deal with this. And you feel pretty good because you're dealing with this, but you're ignoring that. Yeah, I see. So I see that a lot. Then I see other couples. It could be that couple that eventually you get so much stuff under the rug, you blow up. Okay. Or some couples, just little small things that they're dealing with. This would say in terms of the differences between healthy and unhealthy is that little things become huge eruptions. Um, I think that healthy couples, and we're all growing in this, but healthy couples, we can learn to have a disagreement, and it doesn't have to be a fight. Um, and that's one thing I really want to challenge you guys in tonight. My husband and I, since the get-go, because both of us grew up in our families, and there was some fighting, and oh my gosh, I mean, I, it was so traumatizing to me. I still remember how it felt to be a little girl and to hear my mom and dad yelling at one another, like in a totally different room. I wasn't even in the same room, but I remember those intense feelings. And so in our marriage, we've really worked to when we disagree, we can talk through it. And if you're married, I want to say the fruit of the spirit of self-control is vital in learning to deal with conflict. And it's learning to surrender to the Holy Spirit when you're really pissed. Like, he's so practical, right? We're going to be mad, and it's okay to be angry. And the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. But in that moment, when we're really angry, we've got a choice. Am I going to um, surrender to my flesh? And let me tell you, that looks ugly. I'm such a nice person, but when I surrender to my flesh, I am ugly. And I usually don't say what I'm like in here. If I was to really let loose, it'd be super ugly. But we have a choice. And so it's learning, even in those moments when I'm like thinking really ugly thoughts about my husband, that I'm able to go, oof, Holy Spirit, I just invite you in. I invite you near to my anger. So in terms of dealing with the anger and conflict, I would say surrendering to him 
and inviting him close when we're angry is really huge in terms of if you want to be a healthy, thriving couple. Right. Um, also in conflict, I think it's important to, to outline what the goal is. The goal is not to come to an agreement. The goal is to understand. And a lot of times when we get into conflict, we're really preoccupied with being right and not as preoccupied with listening <laughs> and understanding where the other person is coming from. Um, how much does a person's family of origin affect their marriage? <laughs> it's huge. Our family of origin is so, so huge. But just like I touched on earlier, it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't even have to hold you back. But I'm, I would say probably for each one of us, if, in capital letters, we work through those issues and those wounds from our family of origin. And we can all, we can get free from that stuff. But I do think it's huge. I think we tend to, like, I think that probably, like, for me, getting my master's and, like, learning so much, it was almost that physician heal thyself. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I learned so many tools that helped me not repeat what happened in my family of origin. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but, yeah, what was the question? It was, uh, does, how does a person's family of origin affect oh, yeah. their marriage? So it's, it's, it's huge. But learning, you don't have to respond that way. And then getting in touch with, like, okay, what's going on with me? I would say get help, too. That's something, like, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know how to respond differently when you're angry, if you don't know how to work through conflict together, get some help. There's no shame in that. Come see me. Come see somebody. But if you see a counselor or a therapist, see somebody that's going to get you two talking to one another that they're not. I just think that's so key and so critical that we learn how to communicate. But um, I think God wants to redeem areas of woundedness and bondage, hurt, pain from our family of origin. This is something in our marriage that was huge. Now, your spouse is not going to be your savior, right, to your issues and your wounds. But I do want to say, I believe that's an area where we can minister. And in our marriage, we have been intentional to know what one another's wounds and triggers were. And it's just been so beautiful how Shannon has been able to minister deeply to wounds in my heart that my dad did not meet. And he's just love in even areas where my mom messed up. So it's an area where we can be super intentional to love them well and to show up and just to be a little bit more sensitive to those areas. Yeah, and I just want to say your childhood matters. Um, I, I say that because a lot of times a lot of people will kind of throw that out and be like, I should know better or I'm grown up or I've learned all these tools. I, I mean, like, like she said, I've spent a lot of time because of the brokenness in my family, investing and not replicating those. And yet, you know, I, I have to acknowledge the moments where I still get triggered or I still have stuff from my childhood that's going on. Um, Jeremy grew up in a family that was very quiet. And if something happened, they didn't talk about it. And it would come out in these very passive aggressive ways. In my family, you were very loud about it, <laughs> and you would punish with silence. And so I remember one of the first times that we were having an argument when we were dating, um, I, we had a disagreement where I was unhappy with what he had said, 
And so I went into the kitchen in my apartment. I just started, you know, banging pots around. And he was like, do you want to talk about this? Zip. And I'm just slamming my little pots and my dishes and cleaning the dishes. And I'm very busy and I'm obviously very angry. And um, he, <laughs> so precious, so meek, was like, hey, so you know that <clears throat> punishing through silence is a form of manipulation, right? And I looked at him with a pot in my hand. I said, well, this is the way my family fights. And I stopped for a second. And I put the pot down. And I said, never mind. I heard it. <laughs> and it was like it came out of me. And because at that moment, I said that to him with the pot you know, right at him. And he looks at me. He goes, but throughout my marriage, there have been so many times that that sort of thing has happened where we've had to learn, oh, Maybe that's not okay. Um, and with that in mind, um, what are some examples of healthy communication methods and why are they important? I, communication is really key, and that's something I think that we're all growing in and will continue to grow in. Um, I, just in terms of a succinct answer, I would say one of the biggest things that when I see couples that I see we all need help in, it's listening to understand, not when we're, especially when we're in conflict, the tendency is if you're sideways with one another, you're listening and you're thinking of what? Your next point or what you're going to say. You're, you know, no. Listening to understand, and that's really key. Um, a few months ago, I was reading a book and it was a really awesome book on marriage. And they said, I think it was like, it was either 68 or like 76, I can't remember, but it was a really high percentage, so we'll just say 68 since that's the lower one, but it was like 68% of issues in marriage when you have a problem with your spouse, they're not going to be resolved, and I was like, dang, but these were studies, this wasn't a Christian book, they're just secular studies that are done, it's from the Gottman Institute, and I like their research, but um, so what, what they were saying was it's really important to learn and be able to agree to disagree because you're not always going to agree. Um, so learning to listen with understanding and what that looks like, it's putting your agenda on hold and just trying to understand your spouse. So I would say that's probably one of the top things I would say in terms of communication is listening to understand. Another one in terms of, and this is an odd thing I think I'd say for communication, but it's learning to identify and express What's going on in your emotions? This is huge. You cannot, you can't, she doesn't know what I'm going to say, so I'm so curious. But anyway, um, I can't express to my husband how I'm feeling or what's going on unless I first know myself and I'm connected with myself. I have to identify it before I can express it. What is it that Danny Silk says? He says, you can't solve, a, uh, you don't have a, a, an answer unless you know what the problem is. Yeah, and so I would say that's just a part of intimacy. And now, do we live our lives based on our emotions? No, but I'm telling you, in marriage and in family with our children, emotions are really important. And so learning to identify and express your emotions and also providing, in terms of communication, providing a really safe space for, to listen to your spouse and for him to listen to you or vice versa. So those are some things that come to mind. Well, and I said that because I, I kind of picked up on where you were going. 
I don't know about you guys, but it's almost like the more I get into my journey of learning how to communicate my feelings, I, I've realized it actually takes me a minute to really recognize what those are. When we were first married, it was like I would immediately get upset or angry or I'd start crying, but I could not tell you a feeling word to associate with what was going on inside of me. And so journaling has been huge for this because there'll be moments where I think to myself, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this. Or I'm, I, I feel like, I don't know what I feel. And I have to start writing. It's almost like I have to write it out. Anyone else have to like write out their thoughts in order to know what's really going on? Um, but there have been times in our marriage where no joke, you guys, we pulled, we would Google and pull up the, a, a list of feelings. <laughs> Alexis was one of our uh, second year interns this year. And I think one of our first meetings, I was like, how are you? And we were on everybody's side, oh, they were feeling. I was like, okay. Here's the feelings list. Tell me how you're feeling. And they were like, oh my God, this woman's crazy. Um, but it is difficult for us to say how we feel. Um, something that I recently kind of learned in a boot camp about communication was that when you say the words, I feel like, it is usually followed by a judgment statement or a criticism. And because I feel like has to do with the other person and not vulnerably how I feel. Saying, I feel scared, or I feel small, or I feel unworthy, or I, I feel, you know, that is tiny, but it's vulnerable, and it actually feels like it's, you're giving something away. Yeah, another thing I would say in terms of communication is um, your spouse is probably a totally different personality type than you. What I see a lot of times is verbal processors like me and my son over there. And Ashley, you know, we use, for me and Ethan at least, we know what we're feeling. We're able to express it quickly. You ask me a question, even if I'm mad or sad or whatever, I'm going to have an answer because I'm connected. My husband and daughter, internal processors, slower processors. So learning, like when we were first married, I would get so frustrated with my husband because it would be like, you know, well, like we're, you know, how are you feeling? And he's just kind of like, and he kind of needs all this time. I've learned he needs space. And sometimes he needs time before we even discuss something for him to have a minute, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, to really think through. So if you're, if you're an external processor, verbal processor, and you're married to an internal processor, a way you can honor that person, a way you can honor your spouse is giving them space, giving them time. They're not, I think a lot of times we, you know, people feel like they're stonewalling or something. They don't know what they're feeling. It's so hard for us that are external processors and are fast processors. They don't know. Give them a minute to figure it out. Such a way to honor. Um, I'll also say that whenever one of those vulnerable conversations comes in, okay, first of all, important to be facing one another. Um, a lot of times these really important conversations tend to happen in the car. When you're both looking a different direction, you're paying attention to where you're going, and when the truth is, like, it, it's so important to really engage. And, um, and, and there is whatever the percentage is that you can own in the conflict it may be 1%, 2%, but, but to really acknowledge what someone is bringing to you, especially if you're, there's, it's the spouse that 
has a harder time expressing their feelings, giving them the birth to be able to express themselves and listen and find whatever it is that is valid, whatever it is that you can kind of affirm in them from what they've just shared. It creates trust and allows safety for that vulnerability that they shared. I, I Overall, I do agree with you, but I will say with the whole facing one another, for some couples, that's not the best way. Some couples do better going for a walk. Some couples being like this, I'm like that. I'm like, I want to be, uh, let's, let's lean in. But some couples really do better going for a walk and talking it out. So that's just kind of another thing. If doing that kind of freaks you out and hasn't worked in the past, try just going for a walk together and talking as you walk. And you can still, you know, look at each other, but sometimes it helps with the intensity level for some couples. No, I agree with that. We used to do a lot of walks when we were first married because um, we would get into conflict and one of us would apologize to try and solve the conflict because didn't want to fight anymore because conflict was weird. And so we'd end up going on a lot of walks to talk about why and how and actually break it down. One thing I want to say about conflict is um, I think a lot of couples are very uncomfortable and almost like scared of conflict. This is my take on conflict. As you grow as a couple and as you learn to actually work through conflict, especially in healthy ways, I don't, I'm not scared of conflict anymore. Conflict can actually strengthen your marriage. Conflict, even with your children, as you work through it, it strengthens your relationship. So as we have a different mindset towards conflict, that this can increase our intimacy, we get to know each other better. And it helps, what I call just, it increases the we factor. So conflict is, it's going to happen. I mean, if you're breathing, you're going to have some conflict. But being able to know, hey, the more we work through this, the more it increases, actually will increase our intimacy. Um, are knowing love languages important? I think love languages are probably the easiest way to minister to your spouse. And it's so simple. It's not like there's a ton of them. There's like five of them, right? So just learning it and being intentional to become fluent. If you're like, oh, his love language is physical touch, and I'm just not a touchy-feely person. Girlfriend, you married this guy. Get fluent in touching him. I mean it. I mean, it's so, so, there you go. There you go. It's really important, though. Well, I'm just not an acts of service kind of guy. Well, practice. So, I mean, if, if it matters and your marriage matters, just work on it. Grow in it. I, you know, we can all grow in that. But, yes, I think love languages are vital. If you don't know what they are, get the book, read it. It's a tiny book. It's a great book to read aloud to one another just to help strengthen intimacy, and I would highly recommend it. Um, what I love about the love languages in general is that, yes, it shows love to your spouse, but what it communicates is, I know you. And we all want to feel known. So um, if you're serving your spouse, if you're, if you're loving them the way that they receive love, it makes us feel known and seen and cherished. Um, oh, now we're going in. Um, can marriages come back from betrayal and loss of connection? Yeah, for sure, right? I mean, nothing is impossible with God. I think it's a process, um, and that the t there's no, like, certain length of time on that process. Um, it takes time to reinstate trust and develop trust. 
but yeah, for sure. I mean, get help. Don't try to do it by yourself. I would say get help. If trust has been broken, get help. Um, you know, we've all in different levels in this room, if you're married, we've all been hurt on some level or another. We've all felt betrayed. We've all felt disappointed. And this wasn't something that you and I talked about, but I'm going to segue into disappointment. I just feel like the Lord really, really wants us to address disappointment tonight. So whether your disappointment in your marriage, it's maybe pretty small, or whether you're oozing with disappointment, I just feel like tonight the Lord wants you to know that he sees you. That Elroy, the God who sees, sees you. And he doesn't want you to hide that disappointment and keep shoving it down and shoving it under the rug. He wants you to bring it to him. He wants us to honestly bring to him any and everything that hurts us. And he wants to meet us in that place. So I just want to say we all feel and struggle with disappointment on different levels. Even in healthy, thriving marriages, there's going to be some levels of disappointment. So I just want to, I guess, demystify that a little bit. I just felt like that was something that the Lord in worship, that I just felt like I heard the word disappointment, and he wanted us to go there tonight. But he sees, get honest with yourself, get honest with God, let him meet you there. And then as you follow his lead, get honest with your spouse, if it's something he wants you to talk to him about. That's a really good word. Um, I felt that. Um, and obviously, we are talking very broadly about, I mean, marriage is an issue that we could spend a week talking about in depth. Um, and so we are kind of hitting a bunch of different things in a short amount of time. Um, but what are some suggestions for how to reinvigorate a marriage? To reinvigorate, um, I would say look her in the eyes, look him in the eyes, especially if you have kids. I think it's so easy for children to become the center point and the focus of marriage. I think date nights are vital. Um, having fun, recreation time together is vital. Um, just doing things you enjoy. And even if that's, that doesn't have to be an expensive date, even if that's going for a walk, if that's going to a park and swinging, whatever that looks like. Um, I think sex is probably one of the best ways, I would say, to reinvigorate a marriage. Um, you know, doing a seven-day sex challenge, a 30-day sex challenge, whatever that looks like. But I think sex is one of the best ways to, to reinvigorate and breathe life to your marriage. This is one of my favorite subjects. We are definitely going to do a night that's just about sex because I have so much to say on this topic. Um, <clears throat> I love every single one of you. Guys, you cannot underestimate the value of fun in a marriage. There's something that happens the longer we're with someone. There's a familiarity. Is it, I mean, it's not, it's not in the Bible. It's Chaucer said it. Familiarity breeds contempt. There is something about the familiarity, and we get into the, the routine of life. Y'all, we have five kids. There is just, there's always something. There's school. There's ministry. There's needs and stuff that's put on it. But if we forget that we were talking about different relationships, our our friendship relationship with one another, we forget some of the the, the reasons that we fell in love. Because when we were dating, we had a lot of fun together. And and, I really just can't tell you enough how how important it is to find ways to actually enjoy 
the person that you're married with as a person. Yeah. On top of, of sex, sex is so important. Um, y'all, I, I, we're gonna get, we have another question about that, that I'll get to that in a minute. Is there something else you wanted to I say? I would just say with that, stay curious. Stay interested in your spouse. Ask questions, especially when you've been married, you know, five years or more maybe, but stay curious, stay interested. Yeah, that's just stands out. The word cherish is really big to me because I feel like when I'm talking with couples, a lot of times that word cherish gets a little bit lost. Those, you know, maybe the butterflies aren't around, we're really, really busy, we're stressed, and, and we forget to really cherish this person that the Lord has brought into our lives, that our marriage is, it, it is, it is Jesus and his bride. It is the closest thing on earth as of a reflection of Jesus and his bride. And I've been entrusted with the heart of this other person. And there's a beauty in reminding myself that that heart is mine to cherish. And that when I bring things to them that I'm disappointed in, I want to still protect that beautiful heart that I've been given and honor and cherish them. I think with that too, Ashley, um, I think there's a tendency, I know I can fall into this, and I'm sure all of us can who are married, to take our spouse for granted, and we might use an edgy tone with our spouse or a short tone that we wouldn't use with any other human on earth. (laughs) And I don't think that's, I don't think that's the kind, I don't think that exemplifies the heart of the father so, I mean, I, I see that in myself, and when I do that, I'm like, crap, I wouldn't talk to anybody else like that. And I don't mean being ugly, but just, you know what I mean, just using a sharp tone or whatever. So, um, something that we did from the outset, it was, it was really based on the dysfunction from my family of origin, is I, when we got married, I told Shannon, I want to treat you and be more kind to you than I am to anybody else, even when no one's around. Because I did not see that in my family. So that's been a real bedrock for our marriage. Do I always live that out? No. I have to apologize a lot. But that really is still my desire, is I want to treat my husband and my children better than I treat anybody else. That's not always easy. (laughs) Um, Okay, so on that note, what are tips you suggest for building a strong marriage? What are some things that people can do to build strength? Yeah, let me look and see if I wrote anything down on here that we haven't talked about so far. So far, oh yeah, okay. These, yeah, um, it's one of the things Practicals. I just shared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my husband and I would say these three things. The number one was what I said a minute ago: be kinder to your spouse than you are to anybody else. Simple kindness in marriage and in family—it can't be overstated. So just being kind. The second one is to forgive. Um, forgiving, we're never more Christ-like when we're forgiving. Amy Carmichael said that, and it's just so true. So forgive readily, forgive freely, um, forgive often, forgive quickly. When you're having a hard time, get honest with God, get honest with yourself, but deal with it. But if we're going to live out the kingdom of God in our marriages, what does Jesus look like? What does the Father look like? He looks like forgiveness. And he looks like forgiveness when we don't deserve it. 
So when you're really mad at your spouse and you're like, why did I even marry this person? I don't deserve, he doesn't deserve forgiveness or she doesn't deserve forgiveness. No, they probably don't. And that's the whole point of the gospel. (laughs) I mean, really. I was so, when I was younger, what wrecked me with the Lord in my 20s was when I began to listen to the voice of God, the Father, really, and he would tell me, I love you so much. And maybe I'd sin or do something really crappy, and he'd be like, I love you when you least deserve it. He would tell me that over and over again. He'd tell me, it's my delight to forgive you when you least deserve it. That wrecked me. And I want to love my husband and my kids that way. That's, that's, I think, our goal for kingdom marriage. And you know what? That comes face to face with my ugly flesh. So I'm going to say yes to one. I'm either going to say yes to the Holy Spirit in me and surrender and yield and let him love through me, let him forgive, or I'm going to say yes to my flesh. So forgiveness is huge. And then lastly, you already touched on it, but I'll touch on it again. In terms of tips I would give for marriage, I would say have a lot of sex. I think that sex knits our heart together in a way that nothing else can. When my husband and I first got married, we, our values were very much similar and in line, but our approach to life was completely different. Guess what now? <laughs> After many years of marriage, it's very rare for us to not see something similar. And I think that's because we've had a lot of sex. I think the whole one flesh notion, it's way more than a body. I think it knits your heart, your mind, your spirits together. So I just challenge you grow in that area, make it fun. And I think, and this is another thing I would say in regards to sex, there's never been a couple that I have highly admired their marriage that sex wasn't a huge priority and they didn't have a lot of sex. So I'm just saying it's important. So go have some sex tonight. Yep. Um, On that, I will say that um, the area of sex can be a challenge and in this, and it's something that Jeremy and I are very passionate about speaking about. Like with you, with the USMers, with the Upper Room School of Ministry, we are the sex talk people. Y'all, I speak one time in USM. Nobody forgets my one time that I speak at USM <laughs> because I talk about sex. But here's the thing: I'll tell you, 99% of the time, sex problems are not physical. If there are issues with sex it typically has to do with some of the things we've already discussed. It goes deeper than that. It is emotional. It is tied to um, communication. It is tied to vulnerability. It is tied to, to conflict. Having to discuss your needs sexually is one of the most vulnerable, scary things that you can do because there's ego involved and assumption involved and you know, there's, uh, there, is, there is an entire culture screaming at you of what it's supposed to be like, what it's supposed to look like, what you're supposed to be like, what you're supposed to look like, that is screaming in your ears while you're just trying to have a vulnerable conversation to experience a deeper level of pleasure, of pleasure and connection. And that's all, that's all that sex is. It is, a, it, is, it is an amazing way to connect. Um, and just to go back a little bit on, on relationships in general, um, I have this, this little saying that I like to say is that when you're dating, um, your dating relationship is a mirror for your issues. <laughs> Suddenly you start dating and you're like, oh God, that's still there. 
And then um, you get married, and I like to say that it's a magnifying glass, and you're like, oh, that's really still there. And then you have kids, and it's a microscope, and suddenly all those things you thought you were doing so well in just aren't really coming out. Um, and so uh, that can and that can manifest in relationship and conflict, but also in your sex relationship. Because again, it, you guys, marriage is complicated. Like if you have struggled in marriage, it's not because you suck. It's because it is a complicated relationship with, you know, again, they sound like I'm talking about, what is the movie? With the dream within a dream. Yeah, it's like it's like a relation, like relationships within a relationship that are constantly all moving and need to be tended. Um, and so I just want to like no more shame, like lift shame off of this room. Like Lord, let hope be infused into this room because there is hope. There really, really is. And everyone in here has the possibility to have the marriage that that you desire and that God wants for you. I, I was going to say, um, I know we have a short amount of time. We really want to do some ministry um, at the end here, but um, I don't know. It, this is kind of like a family living room type setting, and so I just wanted to know if there's anybody that wants to ask a question, since we have Kimberly here right now. Um, maybe we take like two or three questions and see if there's anything that we covered that you'd like to know more about or go deeper in. You just have to raise your hand. Oh no, who wants to go? Okay, so within conflict, how God created marriage and, you know, God being the head, the father, wife, et cetera, in, within conflict, Yes, there won't be agreements, but in submission, like wife submitting to husband, I don't know if you, can you talk on that a little bit or especially within, think, like what, what if you don't come to agreement about something that needs to be resolved or yeah. something that needs to make a decision on? Yeah, that's a, a good small question. topic. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In our closing moment. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's good though. Oh, yeah. good. Um, I believe that, that the word for submission, um, the Greek word there, I think it's like, I'm probably saying it wrong, it's like hupotasso or something, and it means to line up under. And I think that's one, I think for women, that's one of our greatest fears is to trust and release control to our husband in that in those areas where it is we disagree. Um, I I think that there, when we choose to obey God's word in terms of submitting and lining up under him in, in decisions like that, there is an umbrella of protection, and that's what I've learned through the years. Um, there's an umbrella of protection when I choose to say, Lord, I'm, I'm entrusting this to you. Um, I think as we look biblically at marriage, though, we have to realize the husband is commanded more times than the wife is commanded to submit. The husband is commanded a huge thing. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. So if we have a spouse who's seeking to love me as Jesus loves the church, it's pretty easy. And Jesus loved the church by doing what? Yeah. I mean, he died, right? 
but you know it's it really does it it's easy so i think there's such a that's a dance of if we're both seeking to honor God, and he's choosing to love and serve and die and give, and I'm choosing to honor my spouse and submit. So I think it's a dance, and I will say, I do think, though, for women, and I know for me, I've um, sometimes I still don't like it. I'm just going to be real honest. Sometimes I'm like, dang it, God, I don't like this. I'm just being real. Sometimes it's it's hard just because I want to get my way, you know, Um but yeah, I think there's there is it's a it's a yielding to his our husband as the headship. Yeah. Good question. Okay. Anyone else have an easy question? <laughs> Silence does not make me feel weird, people. Yes. Yep. Yes. What advice or wisdom would you give to people who are not married and are going like into the future and possibly getting married? Like what would you such, tell us for successful marriage? Such a beautiful question. Yes. Um what's your name? Elizabeth, hi. Um, I would encourage you, Elizabeth, grow into the woman of God and let him develop the character in you so that you will attract the kind of man you want. I think sometimes we can have these ideals for our spouse, but am I growing? Am I yielding? Am I, you know, all those things. So I would say just get to know God Thanks, honey. <laughs> He's an encourager. Love that. Um, but right, Ethan, we were kind of talking about that a couple of nights ago, growing into who you, who God's created you to be and living at the level you want to live. And when we talk about kids, when I come back for parenting, when our kids were little, man, God grew me so much because I wanted to develop this awesome character in these little children. And I would, you know, be talking to them about their character, and the Lord would convict me. Yeah, do you do that in your life? I'd be like, oh. Yeah, like draws like. <clears throat> so, I mean, anything and everything, I mean, anything and everything you can throw at the things that you know or your triggers or your, your things going on in your heart, do it. Like, be as messy and go after all that health, all the things we're talking about here. Learn and pour yourself into to getting this now because it saves you a lot of time in the future. Yeah. <laughs> People think that marriage like fixes things. It amplifies Absolutely. things. It, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so seek, seek healing for, like, your woundedness and different things like that. Yeah, I agree with Ashley. But that's such a good question. Yes. One more? Yeah. Ooh, ways to cultivate vulnerability yeah. within your marriage. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think, like, having convos and talking and just asking questions. Um, even if that, that little game, uh, what's the red game? We're not strangers anymore. The couple's edition. 
Yeah, that one. We're not really strangers anymore. Even that, some of the questions are really goofy. But um, getting to the level three questions, it, anything that can help you guys go deeper. If it's a struggle for you and you're scared, talk about that. You know, even like, ooh, this is, this is scary for me because when I was little, my mom used to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say convos are good. What do you think? What's something that comes to mind for you on that one? No, I think I think that you're right. The, the vulnerability is is like like diving off the high dive. You just kind of have to do it. Like you you have to make the choice that I'm gonna jump and I'm gonna say the thing I'm afraid to say. Um, we've talked. We, uh, I've said this before, but if you can't talk about it, it owns you. So if there's something that you feel like you're unable to talk about with your spouse that's the thing that you need to go after. If you have tried to talk about that thing with your spouse and it, you've hit a wall every time or you've, you've gotten kind of burned, that maybe means that it's time to bring um, someone else into the conversation. Um, I, I, told, I told Kimberly earlier, but a lot of times, uh, Jer I will say this, Jeremy and I believe in going, we go in for marriage counseling at least once a year. Preventative therapy, okay? Preventative medicine. If you're gonna go in for an annual checkup for your body, why wouldn't you do the same for your heart? Why wouldn't you do the same for your marriage? You may not have anything going on, and, but there's something about creating a history, a medical history, so that let's say I develop a cold, it probably will heal itself over in a little bit of time. But if I develop a cancer or if I develop something that's more serious, I have, you wanna throw everything that you can at that, right? We want to go after it. You're, when the doctor pulls in a bunch of other specialists and you do everything you can to go after that thing. And so if there is a cancer that shows up, if you have a history of a doctor, of a person that knows who you are, the, your family of origin issues already, that when you come in with what you have, you don't have to spend a whole bunch of time trying to catch them up. And a lot of times, even just sitting with another person in the room, Jeremy and I'll be sitting there and we'll be talking about our stuff. There's something about accountability of having someone else impartial listening to what you're saying. There have been times where I'm sitting there and I'm like, and he that, you know what? I just heard it. Never mind. Because there's something about having a witness to the things that we work up in our mind, the case that we work up in our mind against this person that we love. Another thing I would say to your question would be when there's something that you want to talk about that's vulnerable and kind of scary, letting your partner know what you need. Like if you need problem solving and you want some like, I don't know what to do here. If you just need to be held, like I'm going to tell you something that's really scary for me or uncomfortable. And I'd just like for you to hold me. I don't need you to speak into this. So it's really just so healthy to, like, they don't know what we want or what we need. So I would say letting your partner know what would really make me feel loved right now is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're in a process of learning each other, knowing each other. Um, I've been married, I've been with Jeremy Chuck for 16 years. And I am still in the process. We are still in the process of learning each other because the conflicts, the stuff that comes at us changes. And we have this thing that we say that we're like, you know, if, um, the, if, if we are not good and the whole world is going right for us, but we're, our relationship is on fire, we're not gonna be okay. But if we're solid and the whole world is burning, we're gonna be okay. 
Anyway, we wanted to do a time of ministry, of praying for people. Cheryl can come up and she can she can pray for people with us. But we just, we want to pray for you guys. We want to pray for your marriages. We want to pray for your hearts. We want to pray for your future spouses. Before we do that, if could everybody just stand for a second? Ooh. Yeah, first I just want to pray for married um, couples. And then what I pray in a minute, I just, I just feel like it's for anybody, those in the room who aren't married yet but want to be married. But if you are married, I just want you to hold out your hands. Close your eyes and just hold out your hands before the Lord. And I just want you to give God your marriage. And just tell him, Lord, I'm just, I'm giving my marriage to you as an offering tonight. If you're engaged, hold out your hands. <laughs> I'm giving my future marriage to you as an offering tonight, and I invite you in. God, have your way in me. Have your way in my family. I want you to give him your disappointment, any disappointment that you have in your marriage. Just lay it before him. Father, I give you all the disappointment that's in my heart. I entrust it to you. I say that nothing is too difficult for you. And I say, God, come and have your way in my marriage. Come and have your way in and through me. God, let your kingdom come in and through me in my marriage. Thank him. I want you to thank him that he's more than enough. Thank him out loud. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you are more than enough for my marriage. Give him every part of your heart. Tell him, Lord, I want to meet you in my marriage authentically. Even when I'm full of my flesh, I want to invite you in and say, Jesus, come close. Jesus, have your way in me. So God, I pray for every marriage that's represented here tonight. And we just say, Lord, will your kingdom come? Will you manifest in greater measure? God, will you build these marriages strong and beautiful, even in the scary moments, in the moments when we're angry, when we don't understand one another, when we don't even maybe like one another. God, we say, will you come and have your way in and through us? Lord, I pray that you will build strong, 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 beautiful families, build beautiful marriages. Jesus, we say, will you make me more like you as I live with my partner? Let that be your prayer tonight. Ask him, say, Jesus, make me more like you as I do life with my partner. I want to read this verse over you. This is probably one of my favorite verses in terms of marriage. So just close your eyes, keep your hands out, and just receive this. God, this is our prayer tonight. As your chosen children, this is from Colossians 3, we're holy and dearly loved. God, we pray that we will be clothed with compassion towards our spouse, that we will be clothed with kindness, that we'll be clothed with humility and gentleness and patience. As I'm reading this, say, yes, Lord, I want that, I want that. Lord, that we'll bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. God, we thank you that we can forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. And over all these virtues, Lord, we say yes to putting on love. And we pray, God, that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. So, Lord, I thank you for these marriages. Lord, I thank you that you meet us in the messy moments. I thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. And, Lord, I just thank you that you are 
present. You are God with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah, we thank you. 